Welcome to Love Maps, your guide to love, sex and relationships. I'm your host, Joe Nickel. I'm a psychotherapist and relationship coach. For 25 years, I've been working with couples and individuals, and I know firsthand that many people are not having the sex and love life they want. So I decided to make this podcast to give people the tools they need to get the relationships they long for with more passion, intimacy and connection. So what is a love map? A love map is the blueprint for our relationships which we developed in the early stages of our life. There's a saying, show me how you were loved and I will show you how you love. Our culture shows us how to fall in love, but I want to show you how to stay in love. Each episode, I'll be hanging out on my sofa with an invited guest who has a particular interest or expertise in love and sex. And together we'll explore a specific topic so that you can take away tools and new ideas that I hope will transform your relationships. Today, we're delighted to have back with us um, Caroline Burr, who is a relationship coach of 14 years, and she is empowering couples and individuals in their relationships. She also does the most wonderful webinars where you can get instant support for your relationships, which you can find on yourrelationshipcoach.co.uk. Also with me on Love Maps is my regular sofa buddy and editor, Richard Cotton, who is as passionate as I am about improving our relationships. Hi, Richard. Hi, Joe. Hi, today we're doing No Sleep, No Sex and salvaging your relationship after children. No sleep, no sex. Yeah, I know. Do you remember those days? I do. Yeah, I remember those days. Even though it's quite a long time ago now, I I remember it like it was yesterday because it was a kind of the moment when, when the children arrived, it certainly changed my relationship in a way that I wasn't expecting. Mm, we're not told, are we? Everything changes fundamentally forever. I mean, that's kind it. Really of does. And what they say, oh, the nothing, it's going to be wonderful, and things will change, and you're not going to get much sleep. But they, no one really tell, tells you about the impact on your relationship with your partner, right? And what that means. Yeah, and I think for me, I didn't really understand why these things were happening. It sounds obvious now, but you know, then it, it just wasn't. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I would approach it. In a, in a different way now, of course. I certainly wasn't told that, you know, you're, you're, you won't feel um, like having sex in the same way that you did before. You won't want to have sex in the same way. You won't be able to have sex when you want and where you want. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that a lot of men struggle with because they don't go through the physical experience of the birth um, they go through a lot of emotional experiences, but women have a time of recovery. They're breastfeeding. They're looking after children. Both couples are very tired, and it's a time where the relationship is inevitably put on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens is it's often not taken off the back burner. Yeah, it's kind of put there and forgotten. You know, those special times you made for each other, the times you would chat over supper together. Before children. Before children. Kind of a wiped away with the kind of under nappies and bottles and, you know, the mess and the and the disruption of time to mm. when you have children. Mm. I mean, was that what, was that what it was like oh, it's for Oh, absolutely, you? yeah. I mean, you know, long days working, you know, 
um, either being at home with the kids or going out to work and then coming home. And then, you know, the two of you kind of meeting in the aftermath of, of you know, an exhaust of an exhausting day. It's a common story. I'm, I'm sure, you know, lots of people listening to this might recognise that pattern. Definitely. What do we then do about that? And, you know, you can't rely on feelings because feelings, you know, change according to our environment. We have to schedule these things, don't we? We have to take time specifically and say, look, that is what we are going to do, right? Whoever's staying at home is not really going to have the capacity to listen to the other's feelings about what their day has been like when they've been outside of the house, not. not under a mountain of nappies and bottles and toys and children and all that sort of stuff. So there's, it's so important to learn about what it takes to salvage the relationship because it really requires skill, it requires attention and thought and diligence to that because we need to bring the relationship off the back burner and very consciously to do that. So, Caro, welcome. How are you finding children most impacting on relationships in the work you're doing with couples? Most couples aren't prepared for the extent to which children change their relationship. They know it's going to change their life, and they know it's they're going to have sleep deprivation. They're, you know, that there's going to be um, a lot more staying in rather than going out. They know a lot of the the top level things, but they don't realise the the depth of the change that it's going to bring in their relationship with each other as partners. And that depth that you're talking about, um, I know, is often felt in the bedroom. Yes, in terms of whether whether they're able to sustain a healthy sex life. And part of that is about, of course, you know, the woman goes through enormous changes in her body, hormonally. You know, if you've got a child that doesn't sleep, then actually you just may be exhausted. But it's more a matter of how do the couple feel towards each other at this point? And do they they actually still feel... uh, sexual partners together or are they now you know mummy and daddy in you know in their roles as parents and they don't know quite how to be partners together that's a very good point you're making I think that mummy and daddy role can desexualize women yeah for a lot of men I know that a lot of men feel that their wives when they become mothers their lovers when they become mothers, become unsexy. Yeah. You know, they... If you're breastfeeding, your breasts, in a way, are for the baby at that point, and and we don't necessarily talk about it, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't help. And the flip's also true. I mean, you often hear women complaining that their their husband is another child. Mm. So at the point where actually they want someone to stand alongside and be a partner and a co-parent... They've got a boy. So well, you certainly didn't marry and fall in love with the boy no. that emerges when there are children around because there is that, it does evoke in men a part of them that is quite, that is childlike because it evokes a part of them that had to face a sibling and had to deal with their mother being distracted and preoccupied with another. 
or, or if they're an only child, to have the sole focus of mother, which in itself could also be too much. So yeah. there's a there's there's a too much or too little, yes. um, either abandoned or um, overwhelmed um, in it. Our challenge is to help couples move into a more adult state together yes. when these childlike parts revoke. They're feeling the difference, they're feeling the neglect, they're feeling the gaze has moved away from them. The focus on you, me, our love life, our sex life, our time together as a couple dramatically Mm. shifts. Well, and also the point of the relationship at that point changes because the relationship is there to support the child. So it becomes the, the foundation for that child to to um, regulate from and grow from. This is where we see a lot of the a lot of the problems, don't we? Yes. Is yes. that you've got two adults with their inner child states of fear, neglect, what's gonna happen next, where's she gone, why isn't he coming home on time? All activated and not in the service of the child, because yeah. as you said, yeah. two parents, two adult parents should be present, but they're often not. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm just thinking of my own experience. You know, um, I've got three sons, but when our twins were born, I remember sort of needing to interrupt my husband to be heard because actually there was a part of me that, that needed, the child part of me really needed attention because I was so busy giving so much in so many different directions as well as being knackered um and i you know it it was it was a very tangible sense of you know it has to be all about me and of course that wasn't relevant at that point it wasn't helpful and you know we'd have to recover from that um and he he had his own version and i think it's that being honest about the fact that that's normal rather than you know pretending that these children come along and, it, and it's, you know, we talk about it being hard, but we don't talk about what's hard. We don't talk about the envy and the jealousy that is inevitable. You know, they're kind of words we don't go there. Whereas, actually, of course, we're going to be envious. You know, before kids arrive, the good, you know, the good father or the good mother in, in our partner can, can be there for us and, and for our child. And when there's a real child... You mean our inner child? Our inner child, yes. yes. Yeah. And when a real child comes along, well, actually, we have to grow up. I think this is sometimes where relationships come, you know, can't find the next phase, is when one partner does not want to grow up. And I think that um, it's very easy for um, couples to fall down into a rabbit hole of not growing up because... They are both, modern couples are often both working. Yeah. So they go off into quite an adult world outside of the house where their adult self can be quite active. And they step back across the threshold into the home and they need to make a transition into a different part of themselves. And I think that's very often coming home anyway triggers quite childlike states in us our intimate relationships bring out the worst in us as well as the best in us because they they do evoke they they bring up the the things that we did or didn't get growing up so i think that's right i think it's really hard that 
with our partners, we we have the biggest challenge. And again, to be to be real about that and to acknowledge that, you know. When faced with having children in the home, we also start thinking about and, you know, unconsciously remembering what it was that we learnt from our parents mm. about what it is to be a mother and what it means to be a father. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And it's a, a line of inquiry I take with my clients, with my couples. I think it's really important to understand and think about what was being modelled to you as you were growing up, what was being mirrored to you by your parents. As a man, what did you learn from your father about being a man in the world? And sadly, a lot of men had absent fathers. Either they were fathers who were working very hard and came home late or travelling, but these are a lot of men don't seem to have had a lot of men around them modelling what it means to stand up as a man in the world in a family. There's just so much hidden below the surface. And when we have, ch- when we have children, it's like we're constantly bumping into stuff that we're not aware of. Um, and actually, if we, if we can bring it to light a bit... Um, and talk about the things that that we're bumping up against rather than being hidden, then then we can have new choices. I mean, I guess the example is we tend to either repeat what we experienced or do the extreme opposite if we didn't like it. And the reality is we probably do a mix of both because when we're under stress, we default to what we experience quite often. So we've got this sort of extremes of either or, and it's until until we're able to talk about it and actually bring it in a way to the adult part of ourselves, we don't have choice. Mm. We are drawn to um, partners who seem to meet two conditions. I mean, it's like they've got to be similar enough. Mm. This is un- similar enough to one or other of our parents, but dissimilar enough for there to be some healing. I was going to say, I just want to reassure everyone that this is very unconscious. <laughs> very unconscious. We are not conscious. But this is what, yeah. this it's is tricky, the unconscious drive. It's tricky finding that balance. Well, it's not, it's not an, un, it's not a conscious balance. No, no, no. It's an but unconscious. But the only thing that can change any of that internal unconscious narrative of being drawn to what's similar, but also it has to be dissimilar just enough for there to be something healthier there is that we have to change our relationship to this to our relationships and which comes through curiosity self-awareness and self-knowledge and really understanding what we learned from our childhood I would say as well it it feels like um sorry again I mean it seems to be a pattern I'm just enjoying listening to you both talking about this so I'm, I'm kind of holding back a little bit but it feels as well and we've talked about it in other um, places that uh, this idea of compassion we you know we we really live in a a very um a challenging world i think we need to have compassion for other and for ourselves don't we but also looking at how resourced are we in our communities mm. 
in our, you know, who is around us? Who have you given yourselves? What have you created around you to give yourself the support? Who are you going to? Yeah. I mean, you were saying, you know, in the olden days, there were tr- the tribes had the village. There was always communities where there was support. There were babysitters. There were people there for you. There were aunties. There were elders. Mm. You know, for our modern couples yes. that we're seeing who are struggling with with family, with family life, what happens in that moment? where they can somehow find a place to reconnect and meet each other with their two very different experiences of the day and be respectful to those differences. This is the pain that couples come in with when they've got young children. And it is pain. It is pain. And actually shared pain is far easier. And my sense is is that when couples can each hear each other's pain and go, this is really hard, you know, this is really tough, then there is together, there is Mm. togetherness in it. What's hard is when it's a competition. Who's Uh, got the monopoly on pain? Who's got the worst, you know, Mm. you know, actually. So there's something about how we are in a place and we're back to that sort of adult capacity to hear the other share their pain and honor that and then share ours um i you know i look back and i don't know how we got through the early years with twins really but we did it by choosing what support we wanted by having already got um, the capacity to talk to each other and we did it by going, this is really hard, mm. and being in it together. Mm. And Honesty. I, yeah. I, I asked a group of local businesswomen what was um, about their relationships, sort of what, were the, what was the biggest challenge and what was the most, most helpful thing. And I asked it around the role of, of mother and father. And what was interesting is the thing that came back was to be a team. Being a team, those who had a good experience we're talking about teamwork. Those who weren't weren't finding it as easy, it was competitive. It was, you know, well, actually the other person isn't showing up, or well, I'm doing this on my own. And there was there was a disconnect. So I think for us, our job is to help them find the connection, the togetherness, even if it is in the pain, mm. because we can't magic it. This is a tough stage of life. So how do we do that? How do we how do we create an environment where it feels like we are actually working as a team? Mm. What, what are the you know are we scheduling time? Or what are we doing? Are we learning to respectfully listen. It's a tool that couples respond to, where you help them understand that there is you know when you sit down together, you just res- you just give each other time to to talk and just the other listen and just share. I need to tell you what it's like being me right now and what, what that feels like or what and, and the I other think, hear them. And I think the hard part is, is we don't have this modelled many places. So I'm thinking of the fact that I often use a, I'll use a pebble. I've got a big bowl of pebbles and conkers and all sorts. And I will get couples to experience what it's like to take it in turns. However, where there is high resentment, it is really hard to do respectful listening. Until you've had your anger heard, you can feel that you're not actually ready to listen to the other. What I recommend for for people who are trying to work on their relationships in the videos I created is to slow it down, notice what's coming up, notice the feelings and practice 
owning those in a different way. So we're, again, we're talking about moving from the child who just acts them out to the adult Shouts who goes, yeah, you whatever. know, swears at the other person. That's the place where if you can say, I'm angry because I'm exhausted and I never get a break. If as a mum, you can say that and it be okay and not a threat to your partner, then if you can own it and say it in that way, rather than take it out on your partner, then you're more likely to be heard. So it's it's helping people to realise they can experiment with expressing themselves and that that risk is worth it. And obviously when we're working with couples, we can slow it down. So then actually, what is what is the man wanting to say? Well, I feel like I don't exist anymore. I come in and your focus is all on the children. What about me? And I've had a really hard day or... I feel really lonely and it comes down to getting down to the the baseline feeling and we're still we're still learning to have that language we're still learning to to dare to say what we really feel well dare to use the word I Mm. I feel not you have made me because of you as soon as you own it and say this is what I'm feeling this is what's coming up for me right now this is what I'm struggling with that there's no need for the other to get defensive because you haven't attacked them. Exactly. It's much easier to be heard and to be listened to when you're talking about your stuff and not do it if you're in a state of heightened indignation or anger or hurt. It's just finding that sort of part in yourself to just say, this is how I'm feeling. Thanks for listening to Love Maps. Stay tuned for the second half of our podcast with Caroline Burr. You can find more information and support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com and follow Love Maps Podcast on Instagram. As a man, very often, I've not known how I've been feeling. I've found it in the past, less so now, but I've found it um, difficult to uh, to identify exactly what I'm feeling, and it, it's come out as you know frustration or um, anxiety. But to really get to the get to the the crux of what it is, it's a question of how do we develop this capacity to notice ourselves, yeah. so that we notice then what we're going to bring and come yeah. out with in our relationship. A male, it's certainly a yes. male challenge. Well, extent to which it's a female I think it's true for, for women as well. Um, quite often women are emotional, they're not necessarily aware of what they're actually feeling or able to express it. Because as women, we're often told, you know, you know, you, you, you mustn't be angry. Quiet, you know. dear. Yes, calm down. <laughs> you, calm down, you, dear. Go, go, go yes. and get on with something. So there's a, there are different messages. Well, we trade in stereotypes, don't we? The we emotional. Yeah. But it's an internalised part of a f- the system. For women, it's very much... Although we tried, we have evolved. We are still carrying the legacy of that socialization of actually, it's more attractive if you don't talk up or don't rock the boat. Yes. Um, you know, stand, standing up and meaning it is a very new thing for women. Yeah. And the and male version of that, sorry. No, well, the male version, I think, is 
um, doing it from their hearts. So rather than doing you it... You mean that's the journey? Yeah, to do, it, to do it from a place of connected to your heart and your feeling rather than... Because, I, because I'm right. Because I logically know that, you know, that's, it, that's the logic... Um, so that's how it is. So this addiction to being right. And rational. Yeah. And rational. It's the rational piece that right. there is a logical, you know, emotions are illogical. Actually, emotions are totally logical. They tell us what we do or don't want every minute that we feel. We just don't know how to listen and express them. And if we don't express them, then we have to expel them. That's where the acting out and the violence and and more happens. When I was doing the webinar for Relationships After Children, I was trying to work out what is the tool that that is most useful. And I included an exercise on voice dialogue work where we learn to talk to within ourselves between our own parent, our own good parent, and our own inner child. Because actually the hard part is the work almost comes before you get to the point where you're with your partner because actually if as a man in if you're if you're or a woman because you know we're often both out at work if you're coming home in on in the train or in the car it's the conversation you have with yourself at that point and the honesty you have with yourself and you hear what you need and that may well be a child need within you so I'm feeling really exhausted. I just want to be taken care of. You can hear the child there. I want to be taken care of. I want my needs to be met. Ah, so I'm about to go home and there's going to be a young child or a number of young children Hmm. and possibly an exhausted other parent. Is that likely? What can I expect? What do I need to do to meet my own needs in this moment before I go into that environment? And, okay, we're talking, you know, that's, that's not necessarily... Um, sounds wonderful if we could do it it's messier than that but that's the piece that I think the tool that we all need is to be able to take a step back and actually have a conversation with ourselves with our own inner child that's kicking off because when the real children arrive what about me Mm. (laughs) and also that I want your your one's inner child is anyway kicked off when you cross the threshold into the home there's nothing like coming home to evoke an inner child. What was it like coming home to, you know, the stuff that will come up, what was it like coming home to mummy when you grew up? Who was at home when you grew up? Was there somebody there for you when you grew up? How were you received? You've got all sorts of things that could get kicked up. And I think it's and, and very, now, very, it's an incendiary yeah. piece, the home, coming home and what, crossing the threshold back from the outside, which is fun, adult, exciting, adventurous. And stressful, exhausting. Uh... All, all <laughs> those things, even if you've got to the front door, take three breaths. Just do something that's going to soothe you, ground you, and make you aware of what you're walking back into. Does gratitude you have an important part to play in that, do you think? If it serves you in that moment, mm. yes, it's a beautiful, beautiful, I'm grateful to be home. Well, if you can. I th- it's whatever gets you into making a choice, I think, because... Yeah. To move you from adult, from yes, child to adult. So rather than being reactive, choosing and, and, and sort of um, resisting what you walk into is choosing. So if you walk in and it's chaotic, choosing to be in the chaos. And the hard part is, is that 
we naturally it's, it's inevitable we want to control a bit yeah. when we when we're feeling out of control in ourselves and being parents you know what there's no better place to feel helpless and out of control than being a parent because children keep going through new phases and each phase you go oh uh how do I deal with this phase and each child is different so even if you've got it sussed with one that phase I've got that the next child comes along and they need something completely different and that flexibility comes from that being aware of I don't have to be perfect it's that good enough parent that that we talk about that's um you know psychotherapists uh, um, have been studying for a long time now so being a good enough parent I think there's also in that looking at what partner you need to be and it's about showing up as a partner and being the best you can be in that best you you can be in that moment just as as parents you it's good enough and it's when we get attached to being perfect or wanting it a set way and trying to control it that it it really I think comes you've, you've hit a very interesting point with the control because that's also bringing up the inner child, your own fear of things being not the way they should be or not the way they were when I grew up. And this is an interesting one where that teamwork mm. that you mentioned is so important that couples sit down regularly enough together to talk about what these different stages of their children's lives have what the impact is on them and what their expectations are. When it comes to the ritual of bath time or bedtime, what is it that that means to you? If as a child you didn't get it, then maybe it means a lot. Maybe it brings up grief. If you did get it and it was soothing, then maybe actually it's really important to you as a mother or father because you want that soothing nature. So it brings up whatever and it's being able to talk about it. Being able to talk about it. I think a lot of couples are not giving themselves the time. They're they're doing the bath time, they're doing supper, they're coming home late, whatever they're doing, they're... They're sitting down in front of the TV, they're on their computers, they're on their mobile phones. The one thing they don't seem to be doing enough of is communicating and giving the relationship space. This is where we can get triggered into acting out behaviour. You have to find a place where you are together without your computers and your phones. And I often say, please, maybe it has to be the bedroom. Maybe that is a place where you don't take your phones and your computers, where you just are able to connect to each other, where it's a place where you can just be with each other, hold each other, talk to each other, touch each other, where you have a connection that isn't, where there isn't a distraction of the other. Because although we talk, we're talking about children, phones and computers are, are also others. They yes. are part of a system that is taking us away and from our relationships and are creating more neglect in the relationships. And, and they're also a place that we use for avoiding. Intimacy. Intimacy, because if we are feeling a lot and we don't know where to start, well, it's much easier just to go on Facebook much or easier. scroll through Instagram for a bit than actually have a conversation. And yet, nights and nights of doing that build up to it almost becomes impossible and that's the piece where it's it and it then it then comes out in a in an eruption um that actually is is far more painful than just that 
casual, oh, I notice I'm feeling a bit anxious about about the choice we're going to make about what nursery we send, you know, our son to or a daughter to, you know, it's bringing up some, lots of stuff mm. for me. You know, how is it for you that we're about to make this choice? You know, could we talk about it together? When I had time with my husband alone, away from the children, often we talked about the children. <laughs> and I thought, you know yes. what? What about me? What about us? What about sex? What about just having fun? What about? And it all became about the children. So again, it's like how to take the others out. Of, I think it was also. It impacted on our sex life. I felt neglected. We didn't seem, you know, everything seemed to be about practicalities and children. And now that is led on top of that, we now have phones and computers. So there's some, there's too much coming between the couple too easily. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. too easy to avoid intimacy. And the, the, the one, th- the thing I want to bring into that is there is also a reality that I think it's almost being kind to ourselves and accepting that in the first three years of a child's life that it is very relentless Mm. and you talked earlier about the village and the community and actually if you don't have a lot of support and you can't afford to pay for it then actually having a very honest discussion with your partner and saying look we aren't gonna we are gonna have to do all this ourselves we aren't going to have have the option of having this and finding very small five ten minutes amounts of time Mm. to talk about the things or working away with texting or emailing where you can talk about certain topics that you're not getting discussed and finding ways to boundary time even it is very small amounts and is there a way, even if, you know, is it that you do a share with a friend and neither of you have much money, could you actually babysit for each other and just give each other a break? This is a, an ideal, isn't it, is to be able mm. to have that kind of dialogue. I mean, I'm yeah. wondering, and having experienced it to an extent myself, where there's become an entrenched position on both sides, where there isn't, <clears throat> of course, there is deep down a willingness. I mean, we'll want, we'll want vital relationships that are dynamic and are where we're you know where we're all growing and supporting each other's growth and all that kind of thing but it's incredibly difficult to find a way in to have that dialogue where, where maybe there is that addiction to being right well i'm you know or where somebody makes a statement and it's it's taken as being an attack or like there's a there's suddenly a competition as we've talked about some monopoly or trying to who's in the most who's suffering the most who's the most stressed here yeah, and, How do we and get away from that. And the piece we haven't mentioned is, of course, as soon as you have children, there is more to lose. You know, actually, before children, if you fall out, if you decide you're going to separate, it's painful and it can be really hard, but actually, you can go your own separate ways. Once you have children, you are co parents for life. You know, you don't stop being someone's mother or father because you've left the partner. And how you show up with that's a different story. However, I think that makes it even more scary in the early years with children to say something. Because if you talk about that, the elephant in the room, yeah. that that this maybe we are, maybe we shouldn't be together. Um, you hit that point of disappointment with your partner, and yet you've got a baby, or you've got a toddler, or you've got two or three children. That means a hell of a lot more at that point. And that is terrifying in a whole different way. Because 
if you're the mother, you're thinking, well, can I face being a single parent? If I bring this up, if I dare to say what is happening, what I, what's not okay with me, if I have a voice, what might it mean? And if you're a man, I think there's a similar sense. You're nodding, Richard. Nodding, yeah. What's it like for a man when you've got children and therefore there is so much more at stake? Well, I think, again, when you get into it, when there's a, a pattern reached, of volatility, um, and we have all of these various pressures. Um, in my case, I was tending to be the person who went out of the house, mm. travelled to a place of work for two hours, worked, and then travelled back to the ho- home for another two hours. The, we were just talking about getting to the door of the home, the home being such an important place, and having that moment of breath, and what are my expectations here, and you know, knowing in advance what I'm about to step into and having a different um, perspective then and being able then to respond instead of react to that environment. And I perhaps wasn't as successful as I might be now in that uh, mm. during those early years of well, it, having children. It's very, it's really very, hard very challenging. Because at that point, you're exhausted. Yeah. You, uh, I mean... The, you know, you have a pressure to provide yes. and make sure that there is a home for the for the family, yes. and and actually, therefore, it's the hardest time to do this to do this yes. work really. And I, I thinking from the from the man's perspective, because children often stay with the mother when par- when couples separate. My experience for men is there can be real fear of loss that they may lose their children, not just their partner. Uh, we're moving more to more couples being 50-50 sharing, but it's still what's practical and what's best for children. So there is there is a real risk of losing something that you've just created. Which means actually there's a stronger urgency to really start thinking about how not to, how you avoid getting to that place of, you know, crisis. And so what we're, we're touching on is giving couples tools to facilitate moving through their marriage and their their relationship with children in a way that is gives the relationship a real chance of surviving and nourishing it through incredibly tricky times and i think both of us have touched on and richard alluded to is this need for a space where you can connect where you could, even if it's just small time, where it's 10 minutes, it's 15 minutes, let there be a place that you go to as a couple that is your space where you, and I do think for a lot of couples, unless their children are sleeping in their beds with them, which is another subject, there has to be a place where the couple can go to, even if it's a table at the end of the garden or the garden shed that they take that time respectfully to their relationship and go there and f- and really consciously from the adult part of their brain, which does exist because they don't take their child out to work. You do not go and sit down in a meeting with your business partner and scream and shout at them. You're sitting with somebody you love, you respect, you want to connect to, you're longing to connect to, you share children together, you want a life with them, you have to actually go to that part in yourself, take that breath, make that choice and sit with this person respectfully and lovingly 
and have that moment with them where you just check in with each other. And it begins with dialogue, doesn't it? You have to make that, somebody has to make that first Am I being, step. Do you think I'm being idealistic? So I have a 13-year-old and twins of seven. And I want, I just want people to know it's not that neat. Um, it's the essence of it, but it's messy. And so um, there are times where there has not been space for my husband and I to talk. Well, for months or weeks? <laughs> I mean, would sometimes you- weeks in term, not really talk, and okay. and but but yeah. but there is a place where we have managed to talk about what we needed to talk about when the, I were you know when I was breastfeeding the twins and they were babies I was getting very little sleep and we needed to communicate about who was doing what and at that point it was more functional. The difference was we'd already done some work on our relationship beforehand, so we had a bit of a base and we were a team together. That doesn't mean that we didn't lose that at times, but we had already recovered together and knew what we could recover to. So there's that piece of, if I go back to our first son, that's different where we were still learning that. And that was scary. That was truly scary. When you think, can our relationship survive this? And that is a normal thing to feel. I think that's the piece people need to know. It's normal to think, can we survive this? And to stay with that and to explore from there. So practically for the listener, I mean, yeah. what you did was you got support, right? Yes. You went and found someone and you made a decision together to go and get to yes. learn from someone else yep. for counselling or some form yes. of and, training. Yes, and also before I was pregnant, I started training in relationship work because I knew that I wasn't any good at it. And I was finally in a relationship that I actually wanted to stay in and I still didn't really know how. And so I think it's that piece of not to be scared of learning in the fire because it is it is hot being in a couple and dangerous being in that. And that is where we learn. If we can keep noticing and not just repeating what we did and what we do and finding ways to dare to break that by getting support, by learning something. The thing that helps the most actually is to have compassion for ourselves. Ask the question, what do I need here? And how can I give that to myself? And then is there a place where I can ask my partner for anything? But I have to start by giving that to myself. And, you know, actually asking a partner, what do you need here? Not expecting to respond and give it to the partner, but just so that there is a conversation about needs. Caroline, that's what you've given us is absolutely wonderful. And I wish I'd come to you before I'd had children. I wish you'd been there for me because I'd have learned so much. I mean, just feeling safe enough, giving yourself something that can soothe you enough to know that it's okay to ask and to check and that you have a choice and you know you can survive the fire yeah and and, <laughs> and the stuff that having children and being a parent throws up yeah so and, if, and yeah. that it's an ongoing journey <laughs> i'm Absolutely. still learning yes, yes, yes. so i know mine mine have, mine have grown up but it, it still feels like i'm in that a different yeah. process a different stage but yeah. thank, thank you, you so much that's well, been really really interesting thanks very much thank you thank you Thanks for listening to Love Maps. We hope you've taken away something useful. 
If you know anyone who's struggling in their relationship, please share our podcast with them. You can find more information about the topics covered and links to therapeutic support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com.